episode number 361 with the legendary Larry King. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome everyone to a very special interview on the School of Greatness podcast. We have the legend himself, Larry King, here in the Greatness Studio in Los Angeles, California. Now, for those that don't know who Larry King is, he is a world-renowned radio and TV talk show host who has won numerous awards throughout his lifetime career. He was the host of Larry King Live for over 25 years on CNN and now hosts Larry King now on his own web series. He has interviewed the biggest celebrities and world leaders throughout his career and has received several honorary degrees. He's also an author, a heart disease survivor, and incredible philanthropist. Now, I had the pleasure of connecting with Larry a couple times earlier this year, but then met his stepson, actually, who plays Arena Football League as well, and we had a lot in common. And uh, his stepson's actually the one who helped me get Larry in. So we brought him in here to the Greatness Studio. We had an incredible time. And here are some of the main things that we talked about. First off, I didn't know how funny Larry actually was until I met him recently. So Larry shares with me two of his favorite jokes that he's got recently that I think you're going to love. Also, we talk about why Larry doesn't text. He doesn't have a smartphone, and there's a reason behind it. What Larry learned from all the world-class athletes that he interviewed, the common theme that they all had that made them great, the story that gave me chills from one of Larry's favorite interviews and who that was, the one person that Larry wants to interview but he hasn't yet been able to, why Larry doesn't want to die and the story behind that, also the big question that Larry would ask God if he knew he'd get an answer. This was a wealth of information for me. It was an incredible honor to sit across from Larry, someone who's been doing this for 60 years, 60,000 interviews, and just continues to be a curious mind, to be someone who's curious to learn about other people, no matter how big or small their results or success is or how old or young, doesn't matter the race, where they come from. He is curious about human beings, and he brings that curiosity out in every moment. And for me, it was an incredible honor to to learn from someone who, who's doing what I'm doing and has been doing it for many years. And for me, I want to be able to have that curious mind as well. So loved this experience and uh, such, a, such a great time connecting with Larry. If you guys are listening or watching this right now, make sure to share this out, lewishouse.com slash 361. Tweet it out, post it on Instagram, share it on Facebook. And let me know what you think as you're listening to it as well. So tweet it out and let me know at Lewis Howes and let Larry know as well. He's at Kings Things on Twitter. And again, the link for this is lewishouse.com slash 361. And make sure to stick around to the very end because one of the final questions that I ask Larry, his answer may inspire you more than you think. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope you cherish it as much as I enjoyed connecting with Larry and conducting this interview and kind of flipping the tables on him. 
And again, be sure to share this out, lewishouse.com slash 361. And without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only, the legendary Larry King. Nothing beats attending a live event. SeatGeek's site is easy to navigate, so you're able to select the best seats to see your favorite artists with confidence. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app on the Apple App Store. There are more than 70,000 events on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports, festivals, and more. Plus, your tickets are backed by a buyer guarantee. Download the SeatGeek app and use code GREATNESS20 to get $20 off your first purchase. Offer applies to new customers only. Purchase must be over $50. The promo code is single use and valid through September 30th, 2024. Get tickets on SeatGeek now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com greatness. That's netsuite.com greatness. Any T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash G-R-E-A-T-N-E-S-S. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited. We have the legendary Larry King in the house. Thanks for being hey, here. Hey, happy to be here. I'm very excited. We, we met at... Um, John Asaroff's dinner party a couple of months ago. I don't know if you remember this, but it was at Wolfgang Puck's place. I remember it very yeah, well. Spago, right? Is that the place? Yeah, and, we had uh, that dinner. And we you had were, the dinner. You were one of about 10, 12, 10, people. 12 people. Yeah, and we got to ask you a lot of questions. Yeah, and, uh, it was a nice I, booking. It was a great, the, yeah. The exactly. guy paid me. There you go, to, to have dinner. Says, How would you like? I'll give you this, and you'll come and sit and have dinner, and 10 people sit around and ask you questions. I said, that's <laughs> what I do every day. <laughs> exactly. And I remember thinking. That was fun. It was fun. I remember thinking, I wish I had my podcast set up to record this whole thing because the conversation was incredible. It was very funny. and It was, it was great. Yeah. And Wolfgang came in and said hi and told stories about what you guys used to do back in the day or whatever. So um, first off, thanks for coming on. And uh, I want to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done. You've inspired me so much. I think you've inspired every interviewer in the world. So well, I can't. I tell you the truth, John. I can't believe it myself. I uh, <laughs> No, I do. I pinch myself. A lot. Uh, you know, I, next May 1st, I will have been on the air 60 years. 60 years? Yeah, I think I've done 60,000 interviews. I, uh, oh, my gosh. I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I used to dream about it when I was a kid, when I was five years old. Other people wanted to be you know, doctors, lawyers, firemen. I wanted to be on the air. 
I didn't think I'd be an interviewer. I finally got into it in Miami in 1957. Uh, I thought I would be a sportscaster. You know, I loved going to Dodger games. and But uh, it worked out that I went from being a disc jockey into doing a show at uh, a restaurant and started interviewing people, and I loved it. I was so at home. Really? Interviewing. Yeah, I didn't have. we didn't have any guests booked. So I never knew what would happen. Every day was a surprise. You know, I just, people coming in one day, Bobby Darren walked in, Jimmy Hoffa walked in, Danny Thomas. And I got to interview this people. I didn't plan. I didn't know they were coming. So I got to like the immediacy of it. I loved working live. and Not I, planning I, it. Not planning. I couldn't mm, plan. Right. And then it went into television and we started booking guests. And then I did radio. And t- always did both my whole career. Always did radio. Did started the first national talk radio show on mutual broadcasting that was in 1978 and then in 85 ted turner came and hired me for cnn and then i did the first worldwide talk show so i was kind of like a pioneer and then uh four years ago uh, i hooked up with uh, carlos slim one of the richest men in the world at the time he was the richest and uh he financed uh our site called Larry King now on Aura, and was my wife's idea. And so we got this talk show on the Internet, just started our fifth year. I do a podcast with my wife, mm-hmm. which we will have you on. Love to. And then uh, just I saw I'm going to be 82 years old in November, and I can't, I can't believe I don't feel 82. I don't know where it all went. <laughs> I mean, where did all the years go and all the people I've interviewed and I think of? People come up to me and say, you know, I heard your interview with Count Basie uh, 60 years. Wow, Count Basie. Yeah, I interviewed Count Basie and Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong, all those people. And seven, eight presidents. You know, and it's still. You've interviewed eight presidents. Yeah, it's still it's still a hoot to me. I still love, still love doing it. I still love asking questions. I also love comedy. When I do a speaking, I only speak and tell funny stories. I do not speak seriously. Uh, I worked a lot of conventions. Tony Robbins, that's where I first saw I worked, you. I worked on Tony Robbins. I worked on other those self-help things. And I always go on and say, what am I doing here? You know, I don't have any <laughs> books to sell. I don't have nothing to sell. And I just tell stories. And Tony's wild to work with. And Tony used to introduce me by starting on the stage and taking... L, give me an L, give me an L. And then he'd run through the audience, <laughs> go up to the balcony, run across the balcony, you know, spelling out my name. Until he got down until finally Larry King and I, I said that, uh, I think we ought to put a rocket up his rear <laughs> and shoot Tony up to the clouds. He will not be happy until we sort of blast him off to Jupiter. But I had a lot of fun with Tony. And uh, so I like doing this. In fact, that's one of my favorite things. To go out on a bare stage, there's nothing like the high you get when you can make people laugh. When you can walk out cold, nothing behind you, no script, no play, no guest, just go out. So I did a comedy tour two years ago. We worked Boston and Miami and all over the South, and uh, it was just great just going out on stage. We we knew where we were going with it. It was directed, but uh, a lot of times it would be ad lib, and I I just loved it. I loved going out there, and a lot of my friends are comics, and I've always admired comics. I love interviewing comics. Comics see the world differently. Hmm. They see things funny. 
You know, so what is what is not funny to most people can be funny to comics. And I've learned a lot from that. I learned timing. You know, I, I learned, you know, like certain certain cities, like Mel Brooks told me, there's certain cities that are funny. <laughs> What's the funniest city? Albuquerque is funny. <laughs> Why? Albuquerque is funny. Chicago isn't funny. Oh, oh just the sound. Albuquerque. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, It's yeah. funny. You know, yeah. <laughs> Houston is funny. Okay. Dallas isn't fun. I don't know why. I'm just <laughs> you, you don't even have to agree. Sure, it's sure. It's just part of the whole makeup. What's the what's your favorite joke that you love to tell? Uh, I've got if thousands. you could if you could only tell one joke, what's yeah, the one I, you would I, want I, to tell? It's some of the most recent ones I've heard. Well, I'll give you two. Yes. Uh there's a train that goes every night from New York to Chicago. It's an all Pullman train, all sleeper, leaves New York at one in the morning and gets to Chicago at ten in the morning. Guy checks into his compartment, and suddenly the door opens and a woman checks in. Now, normally, Amtrak would not sell a single woman, single man to spend a night together, but the, it was the last seat on the train. The woman insisted she had to be in Chicago. So they said, okay. And she got into the lower berth. The man got into the upper berth, and the train began its trek. After a little while, the man leaned over and said, I'm a little chilled. Could I borrow a blanket? The woman looked up and said, you know, we're never going to see each other again. We're on this train for one night, going to Chicago. We've got nine <laughs> hours together. Why don't we just snuggle up a little, huh? Why don't we, why don't we play man and wife? You and me, man and wife. The guy says, sure. She says, good. Get your own goddamn blanket. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and one. And the other one was, uh, those are funny. Yes. Uh, this, uh, in Oregon, this, uh, company that chops down trees is hiring people to chop down trees. The foreman is interviewing people. And a one-armed midget shows up. A midget with one arm applying for a job as a tree cutter. And the foreman says, you got to be kidding. He says, no, I can chop down trees. He says, okay, here's an axe. Go out there and there's a bunch of trees chopping down. The midget goes out carrying the axe along the ground, picks it up and whack, 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 knocks down 20 trees in a minute. Whack! He comes back. The foreman says, you are the greatest tree cutter I have ever seen. You're hired. You're unbelievable. You're a one-armed midget, but you're where did you work last? He says, I worked the Sahara Forest. He says, you mean the desert? He says, well, now. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. See, that's funny. The timing. Yeah, yeah. Even going this way, going that way, that's funny. I like that. I love jokes. That's cool. Who was the greatest comedian you've ever interviewed who made you just was so Well, I have so or... many great, you know, the, from the Don Rickles to the... Bill Cosby in his prime was a phenomenal comedian. Jerry Seinfeld. But if I had to pick one guy to be really funny, it's Mel Brooks. He's 90 now. But he did the producers. He did, you know, the, that great Western movie. He did Young Frankenstein. But his mind, he did the 2,000-year-old man, which is the funniest comedy album ever made. I was sent it first when I was in Miami, and I got to play it first. And I never—I didn't know who Mel Brooks was. I knew Carl Reiner, and it was about an album about a guy interviewing a guy who's two thousand years old. And all of it was ad lib. And I put that on, and I fell on the floor. And I used—I—I I would play it with Mel when I was with him. You know, two thousand—you'd ask him anything about two thousand years. You know, a guy lived two thousand years. Sure. And I started to listen to it. He said, you're a, he says, we're here at Idlewild Airport and a man is arriving who claims to be 
2,000 years old. Not yet. <laughs> so I'll be 2,000 October 23rd. What was a, what was your first language? The rock language. The rock, rock language. language. Can you give me an example? <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't throw that rock at me. Are you crazy? <laughs> and then went all the way to talk about Shakespeare and all that. Anyway, he's still that funny. His mind is that quick. So I would say, he's a, what cool. Rickles puts me on the floor too. He puts me on the Rickles. My wife opened for Rickles in Vegas and Atlantic City. And he's just, he's been kidding me for 55 years. Sure, sure. What is it about people that still fascinates you? 60,000 interviews later, why are you still fascinated? Uh, the word, I guess the word I would use would be passion. I have a passion for curiosity. I am, I'm not the kind of person you want to sit next to on an airplane. <laughs> because I, <laughs> If you I, want to sleep. Yeah, because I want to, I want to just ask questions all the time. And that has never, left me, which is why I love sports so much, because I feel sorry for people who aren't sports fans. Because when I get up every day, like tonight, there's 15 games in baseball. I don't know who's going to win. The wonder of it, who's going to win, what they do, what he do, what he do, what happened, who got traded, wow. So I love sport. I love asking questions, but I also love the curiosity, who's going to win the election? It's pretty know. fascinating right now. Yeah, but the whole thing is is a wonder. I know everybody involved. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of You've it. You've interviewed too. both of them. I'm oh, many, many times. times. I, I you know, know Donald really well. I'm very assuming. well. Yeah. I know Hillary very well. Yeah. I know. I know. So all the but the curiosity. I flew about six months ago from New York to L.A. and on the plane was the president of Audi, the motor car company. I drove him crazy. <laughs> I learned more about cars, building cars, how cars are sold, what they want you to do when you buy a car. How, it was unbelievable. I'll give you some things. Ready? Sure. Always find out the day your car was made and never buy a car made Monday or Friday because on Friday they're anxious to go home mm-hmm. and on Monday they just got back. Best day is Wednesday. Middle of the week, they're totally into Sharp. Making they're in the flow. If you're buying a car, the best way is to have cash. They want you to buy on time because the dealer makes half the money on the interest. The bank makes half the money and the dealer gets half the money and they're charging like 4 or 5%. They don't want to pay. They want, they, you know, you go to buy. So you go in and tell them you're financing. You know, you're gonna, you might need 48 months, maybe 56 months. Okay, so this price is 53. I could bring it, I, oh, I could bring it down to. 47,000 for you. You're going to do 48 months. So it's 40, it's 47 the price. Cash. <laughs> right. <laughs> you beat them. You know, but these are all little things. I, I, I would, I would ask him about my, why, are, why are there lemons? How come cars? Now there's the anti-lemon law, which never was before. You know, we have an anti-lemon law. What is that? You get a lemon, a car, you get a new car. Really? If they can't fix it, they've got to get you a new car. <laughs> that never was in the past. Well, they get, they keep trying. They give you a loaner. Sure. Now they got to fix it. They got to fix it or give you a new one. Okay. I like that. These are little things I learned in the by, passing of life. By asking questions. You know, so I never learned anything when I was talking. That was my motto on here. So I asked short questions. You got to be a good listener. Often an answer brings a question. Yeah. And if you're a good listener and you stay focused... And you're naturally curious. 
interviewing is a great way to make a living. And you don't really prepare for your interviews. You never did. Really. Well, I, what I do is I'll go over some notes. You know, naturally with CNN, you're doing a worldwide interview and you're having a senator on. You'll go over some notes. But no, preparation, I don't do six hours or sit around. Watching videos. <laughs> because I never wanted to ask a question I knew the answer to. So if I read so much about you. You already know everything. I already know everything. It's the opposite of the criminal lawyer. The criminal lawyer never wants to be surprised in court. <laughs> so he wants to thoroughly know what's going to be. If he's surprised, he's done something wrong. I want to be surprised all the time. Hmm. Where did that curiosity come from? Don't know. My uh, my brother's a lawyer. My father died when I was uh, nine and a half years old. He, he was a, a refugee from Austria. He tried to enlist. He couldn't enlist, so he was working in a defense plant. He was very funny. I remember that. I got it from him. I, I remember him being very funny. And my mother was a, a housewife, a wonderful woman. He died when he was... So I don't know where I got the curiosity from, but I, I always had it. I had it in school. Even though I wasn't a good student, I impressed teachers. I wasn't a good student because I, I didn't like being tested. <laughs> I hate this. I I was a pretty good student before my father died, and then after that, I sort of coasted. Mm. Who was more influential in your life growing up, or the most influential person, your mom, dad, or someone else? The radio. The radio was my life, so I, I listened to all the Arthur Godfrey's who I gave, later got to know, and the broadcasters of the Edward R. Murrows and the newscasts. I listened to the timbre of their voice. It had a great effect on me because it was a... Every day, we didn't have television. Television came in like 49. I was born 33, so I was 16. When we got our television set, I was 17. So everything I got was through the mind and through the ear. So I was very attuned to voices. I still, I, I hate texting. Right. I want to hear. You got the old school flip phone. That's what I have. The Can't flip really phone. text that easy on Can't that thing. I don't text. Well, I can receive a text. Right. But I, I, to me, it's I know it can be important in emergencies, but it's mostly a cop out. Yeah, you can say no, you know, you don't have the answers. I, to me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a communicator, and I love the art of community. That's what I do with my course. I have a course called the art of uh, what's what's the title? The Secrets, Secrets of, of Great, great Communication. Brendan Bouchard, right? He's Yeah, Brendan Bouchard. And it's yep. called Larry'sCourse.com. You can go to Larry'sCourse.com. It's 10, 10 different courses. Cool. All based on my book, How to Talk to Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere, which is still in print. <laughs> and uh, so I try to help people through this course yeah. learn how to communicate. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And actually, I was thinking about something I wanted to share. I get a lot of questions from you about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there who are often on the go, like I am. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making some extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start, and it's like 
giving your home some company while you're away. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine who have raved to me about their experience. But there are some people out there who've never imagined their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever notice how your relationship with your wireless carrier can have the same yada yada as a bad romantic relationship? Like you're treated special at the beginning with exciting gifts and offers, but then ignored and overlooked later on. Or your partner gets a wandering eye, like how some wireless carriers start focusing their attention on newer customers. Well, if this sounds like your wireless carrier, it might be time to put an end to the yada yada. Now at Metro, existing customers get that new customer feeling again and again. Introducing Metro Flex, more than just free, 5G phones when you join, get the same great deals as new customers on select devices like Samsung, Motorola, and Rebel when you stay 12 months and trade in a phone. It's the first of many initiatives Metro is making to ensure all of the customers feel valued. That's not a yada yada. Stop by your neighborhood Metro store, bring your number and ID, and sign up for an eligible Metro Flex plan. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Because the biggest fear, the biggest fear people have is public speaking. Biggest. That's bigger than <laughs> any other fear of flying, fear of getting up in front of an audience. And I try. Were you afraid to speak in front of public or? The first time until I learned. Mm. I learned my first day on the air right. how, how to use it. And it was it was so simple to me. I was nervous as hell. <laughs> uh, my name was Larry Zeiger. I had wanted to be in broadcasting all my life. I'm in Miami living with my uncle. And I get a job at a small radio station. Uh -huh. Very small. What now. year is this? 19, 1957. Okay. Be, be 60 years next May. Wow. And they hire me, and they say, you're going to be a disc jockey. Play music, and you'll do news and sports in the mm -hmm. afternoon. you got to work all day, $50 a week. And I'm starting on a Monday, and the whole weekend I can't sleep. <laughs> I mean, I'm up, and I'm planning my records, what I'm going to play, what wow. I'm going to say. I'm looking in the mirror, good morning, good morning. Unbelievable. Now it's the first day, May 1st, 1957. It's quarter to nine. Didn't sleep all week. Weekend. I'm up, ready to go. And the general manager calls me in, Marshall. Marshall Simmons, great guy. And he said to me, Larry, this is your first day on the air. We wish you the best of luck. It's a great, great business to be in, and we got a, you got a nice voice. We think you can make it. I said, thank you. He said, now, what name are you going to use? And I look at the clock. It's 10 to 9. I go on at 9. What name are you going to use? I said, well, he says, you can't use Zyger. It's too ethnic. <laughs> People won't know how to spell it. You need, now they would, now, you, now you'd have the name. 
if Engelbert Humperdinck could have the name, uh-huh. I could have it. So <laughs> Schwarzenegger, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. So uh, he says, your name is Larry King. And you know how he got it? He had the Miami Herald open, and there was an ad for King's Wholesale Liquors. And he says, how about Larry King? I says, okay. I later I legally changed it. And now I go in to go on the air, and I cue the record up, Les Elgard swinging down the lane. Da 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 dum 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 da da. I still remember it. Hot May day in Miami. Records playing. I lower the music down, turn the mic on, and nothing comes out. I bring the music back up. <laughs> I bring the music back down, and not, and I look at the clock. I remember it's like three minutes after nine, and I'm saying to myself, "All my life I wanted this, and I'm scared, and I can't, I can't do it. I'm too nervous." So the whole thing is blown. And Marshall Simmons, the general manager, kicked open the door to the control room. And he said, this is a communications business. Damn it, communicate. I turned the record down, put the mic on, and I can almost remember it verbatim. Good morning. My name is Larry King. That's the first time I've said that because I've just been given that name. All my life I wanted to be in broadcasting, and this is my first day ever on the air, and I'm scared to death. You said this. Oh, on air. I'm telling them. So I've got a new name. I've got a show to do for three hours. <laughs> first time on air. We'll do news in the afternoon. So please bear with me. Now, later, such greats as Jackie Gleason heard that story, and Arthur Godfrey, Johnny Carson, they all said, you discovered that day. What the secret is. What's the secret? There's no secret. (laughs) Be yourself. Mm. If yourself is going to work, it's going to work. You can't grab the microphone or the camera and make them like you. I can't make someone listening to us now continue to listen. So all I can be with you is direct. Answer what you ask. Try to be conversational Mm -hmm. and hope that that works. If it works, now I've had 60 years, so something had to work, right? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't go on planning that, boy, this is going to work or that's going to work. I just trusted my instinct. And every great broadcaster through the years that I've known, interviewed, admired, read about, trusted their instinct. Edward R. Murrow in World War II, unbelievable. Being in London during the bombing. And I could remember this is Edward R. Murrow, this is London. And you'd hear bombs in the background. And that's what I love about radio, because radio, you can paint a picture that no one... Rod Serling once told me, the guy did Twilight Zone. He directed and produced all of Twilight Zone. And he used to write for radio. Mm. And I said, well, what's the difference? He says, well, when I write for radio... I could write, there is a long, dark castle at the top of this winding road that seemingly leads to nowhere. Little organ music behind you. Mm. (laughs) And you can picture that castle any way you want. Absolutely. You can picture that road any way you want. If I do the same writing for television, they say, okay, Rod, what kind of castle do you want? (laughs) We'll put the three-pointed castle at one point. You want a flat castle? So it becomes... Your imag- the imagination of radio is unmatched because you can use the power of the voice to do anything. Now, it could take you anywhere. Arch Obler, the great director of Lights Out, <clears throat> Lights Out was a great, scary radio show years ago. 
I had him on my radio show and he I said, Give me a description of radio and he started to describe an insect crawling up my arm with seven legs and a green face. A little hissing sound coming on. He's at your elbow now. He's climbing up the back of your neck. <laughs> All he had to do was that. Right. And he was sitting there, and I got scared. <laughs> you know, here at home. He used to do a show, Lights Out. It began this way. Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Crawl under your couch. Turn down your blinds. Shut off the radio. And turn your lights out. God. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. <laughs> now, those were incredible days, and I benefited from all that. I benefited from all the drama, all the news, all the sports. When I listened to Red Barber doing baseball, I listened to Vin Scully's first game. Scully learned baseball from Barber. I learned baseball for, I see Vin all the time at Dodger games. He's 89 years old. He's been doing it for 67 years. I remember listening to his first broadcast. So there's something about, and that's a radio, baseball on radio. You can create the drama because you got pacing. Other sports don't give you the pacing. You know, football, you got, you got timing that, in between, yeah. Yeah, you got that to build, you know, the Anticipation. Red would, Red would tell you about the city he was in, what's in Cincinnati, and where the clouds are in the sky, and you know the crowds coming in and the turnstiles. Really painted a picture. Yeah, that's what you do. You paint a picture, and so I can almost. Marty Glickman was a great basketball announcer. He was so good, I could see the game. I could see the game. You didn't need TV. Didn't, didn't. need it. Hmm. He, found, he got every pass right, where the player was, who the player was, what it was. I just, he just knew it. And I, Did you do sports broadcasting ever? I did, I did. I did Dolphin football for six years. I did color. Uh, I did the perfect season. Wow. I, knew, I knew the greasies and the kicks and the Warfields and hmm. Manny Fernandez and Nick Bonacani and Don Shula's a friend. And Who, who was the greatest uh your favorite sports athlete that you ever interviewed? There'd be a few. Ali would be way up at top. Ali was the best. Did no you one... interviewed him in his prime, or in his prime when he was uh, when I interviewed him when he won the Olympics. It's Cassius Clay. He was not the heavyweight champion. He was the light heavyweight champion of the Olympics in Rome in 1960. <sighs> he trained in Miami, so I was doing a local radio show. He came on. Mm. Then he came on my television show. Then he was banned from the sport when he changed his name. I remember the day he changed his name. I was at the weigh-in when he fought Liston. Wow. And he was acting crazy. I mean, he was going nuts. Yeah, you're going to fight me now. Fight me now. And I met the medical examiner. And I said, I don't think he's going to show up because he looks, you know, crazed. The medical examiner said his blood pressure is normal. It's all an act. Amazing. It's all. His blood pressure was 120 over 80. Amazing. Um he was, I put put him way up there, but a lot of others too. Joe Namath was one of my favorites because he was always himself. Mm. Joe was great at that. But I, I've been fortunate to talk to Sam Musial, a lot of football players, a lot of football quarterbacks. I learned a lot 
talking to sports people because, well, the athlete has something we don't have. Their career ends when ours begins. As Joe Namath, there was a book about Joe called When the Cheering Stops. I was with Joe two years ago in Cleveland. They had all the Hall of Famers there. He goes into a restaurant now. Some people recognize him, but my kids wouldn't know. The cheering stops. So you get to be 35, 36 years old, it's over. Whereas, you know, my career started to blossom when I was 43. You know, most of the, but, you know, and the athlete faces another thing that we don't face, winning and losing. We do not have a daily final score. Right. We don't have it. You could have ratings, but they're every six months. In a, but the athlete, you go out to play. Every week there's a game. Every day in baseball. What was the final score? You could have all these. Six, three, you lost. They got six, you got three. <laughs> it sucks. Every day you feel great or bad, right? That's right. <laughs> That's what I love about Shula told me once. He couldn't be a, he loved baseball, but he couldn't be a baseball manager because he couldn't stand in the best of teams losing 50 games. <laughs> but the other side is you come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Football, you got to wait a week. It's miserable. So that, that's misery. <laughs> Hurts. For a week. You're yeah. a football player, football right? Football player, yeah. The pain of football. I got to know it hanging around locker rooms and mm-hmm. seeing pain, seeing Seeing concussions, which they now, of course, the movie football's, football's in long-range trouble. I wouldn't want my kids to play. Yeah, I'm happy they played baseball. I'm glad I got out. I'm glad I got injured in my wrist and not my head when I got. My out. stepson Danny, he still plays in the Arena League, and the fear is, you know, you're going to get. I hate to see bodies getting hurt. The, the difference is in baseball, if anything violent occurs, it's an anathema to the game. If a guy gets hit by a pitch. Blood is drawn. You, you feel terrible. Yeah. In football, you see that? What? Did he hit him? Whoa. What a shot. <laughs> yeah. Both helmets went to the ground. He hit him helmet to helmet. Whoa, great. <laughs> get back up and do it again. Right? That's right. Let's get, get back up and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Who was the most fascinating interview of all time if you had to choose one or the most interesting person? <sighs> Impossible. They're all interesting, right? No, they're not all interesting. But <laughs> when you get to people like Martin Luther King. Mm. Malcolm X, Frank Sinatra, all the presidents, um, uh, people who are just everyday people, people who are fascinating. Uh, People fascinate me. Hmm. Why? Because everybody has something. I'll tell you, I haven't told this in a long time. I'm in New York doing my television show, Larry King Live. And someone recommends you ought to book this New York City cop on. He's a captain. He's in the public relations area. He doesn't he doesn't walk a beat. He goes around, talks to schools and groups. So okay, we'll have my figure be another PR kind of thing, you know. And he comes in with a beautiful wife and a little son, except he's paralyzed from the neck down. Oh. He's in the wheelchair, paralyzed neck down. And we're talking, you know. He's, his father was a policeman. His grandfather's a policeman. He would love his son, who was only two or three, to be a policeman. He can't feel his son. His son can kiss him on the cheek. He'd feel that, but he can't hold his son. Ugh. So we get around to, listen to this, how he got paralyzed. He was a New York City cop, and they're working Central Park. 
and they've had a lot of bike robberies. They report. So the captain tells them that morning, look out for bike robberies. This tells a lot about our society. It relates to right now, too. Relates, this story relates to right now. So he's in the squad car. They're driving through the park, and they see a black kid with a brand-new Schwinn. Schwinn bike. They pull over. The driver stays in the car. He gets out to approach the kid about the bike, and the kid shoots him. Here's right. He remembers the puff of smoke going up. Oh, man. And the ambulance comes. They give him last rites in the car, and he goes in, and he recovers, except he's paralyzed for life. Huh. Neck down. His child was a month old, his beautiful wife. He loves cops so much he wanted to stay, so he's doing PR in a wheelchair. And one day he says, I'm very, I really want to meet the kid that shot me. Wow. They catch the kid or? The other, it was right the there, the, the other cop arrested. Gotcha, gotcha. The kid surrendered. Okay. And uh, he goes to visit the kid. The kid's in jail. I think he got 10 years or something, attempted murder. And he visits him. He goes into his cell and he says, why'd you shoot me? And the kid said, I'm an A student. My brother was a bad kid, and he'd left town to go to Philadelphia, and he said, hold my gun. I was just holding it. I didn't even know how to shoot a gun. I was just holding it. And I saved money delivering groceries for five years to get my Schwinn bike. Oh, my gosh. All I wanted was my Schwinn bike. And you were the 12th cop to stop me that day. Oh. So he says, Look, can I ask you a question? Would you have stopped me if I were white? And the cop said, I had to admit, I would not have stopped him. Wow. So the kid just reacted out of anger. And then the end of the story, you could cry is, the cop gets the kid paroled in his stead, and that kid became a cop. No way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so this could relate to today, blacks oh and gosh. whites and things. But his realization. Oh, my gosh. That what you understand about this kid had a new bike, which is all he ever wanted. And they kept stopping him. So what I always try to do is put you, and what he did, put yourself in the other guy's shoes. Yeah. Now, I don't say shoot everybody. Right. But in that moment of frustration, a feeling, my God, I worked for five years, saved up to get this bike, and they can't believe that I, a black kid, could have a bike. Hmm. It's a good lesson. It's powerful, yeah. So that's what I mean by learning. Yeah. Every day I learn. I, I've interviewed so many people with so blind people. What's it like to be blind? It's fascinating to me. George Shearing was a great blind pianist who didn't want to see. He didn't want to see. He was blind from birth. And he said, I don't want to see because every girl's beautiful. Wow. Every girl's beautiful. Every color is bright. All days are sunny. <laughs> In his world, right? In my world. He creates his yeah. own world. Wow. My own colors. I don't have to. I, I can envision what red is or blue or black. Now, Ray Charles was different because he had seen. He wanted it back. He knew what he was missing. You interviewed him as well? Yeah. I've interviewed everybody. Is there anyone you haven't interviewed that you wanted to? Fidel Castro. 
I would love to. I went down to Havana some years back, and we tried to get him because he fascinates me because he's had his he's led his country for over sixty years. I think he's the longest running leader ever. Sixty years. And so, um, forget politics. Somebody must like him. <laughs> yeah, you can't last that long. Wow. And then he took on a country ninety miles away, thousand times bigger than his. He, he was embargoed. <laughs> I tell you what, I discovered this. See, you, you could look at things different. Havana is a fantastic city. Hmm. The people are so happy. They're poor. Really. Music is through the street. You walk down the street and there's music. The hotels are jammed. People from Spain and Canada and Mexico, beautiful hotels. The airfield, the airport is gorgeous. The cars are all 1957 cars. It's really funny to see. But they'll build hotels. Havana will be a major tourist stop. They'll wind up with a major league team in 15 years. Got a big population. Of course. They got great, great athletes. Number one sport yeah. is baseball. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And actually, I was thinking about something I wanted to share. I get a lot of questions from you about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there who are often on the go, like I am. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making some extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine who have raved to me about their experience. But there are some people out there who've never imagined their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. But that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner or want the best people on your team, the same applies. Thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring so you find qualified candidates fast. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. I believe finding the right team members is one of the most important steps in setting my companies up for success. And we'd like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am so grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help as we look to grow our team. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com greatness to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com greatness ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What would you say is the biggest lessons you learned about yourself over the last 60 years doing this? From all the people you learned? Well, from? I tell you what I learned. As Bertrand Russell, the great philosopher, Nobel Prize winner, when he was 95 years old, they were having a dinner in his honor, and someone said, Dr. Russell, what do you know? What do you know? And he said, all I know is that I don't know. <laughs> And so I would say that to you. I don't know. Lou, the more I ask, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondered by all the things, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's out. We don't know if there's life on other planets. Yeah. 
I don't know if there's a God. I don't know. I don't have faith because I can't accept something. I've asked too many questions. I never got good answers. I respected all the religious leaders I've interviewed. I respect them. I respect the, you know, but I've never got an answer to the question of explain the Holocaust. If you're omnipotent, you could have stopped it. Explain right. the children dying. So, and the typical answer is we can't explain the ways of the Lord, which is a total cop out. You're speaking for the Lord. Answer me. Right. You're his representative. Right. So that bugs me. Mm. It, but, but that's part of not knowing. I don't know. And I admire people that know. I'm married to a family that knows where they're going. They know they're going somewhere after they die. It's amazing to me. I wish I had that. I can't make that leap. It just makes no sense. Right. Huh. It just makes no sense to me. It makes, there's no logic to it. But it's a belief. Yeah. And you can't argue a belief. I can't make them believe. They can't me make me believe. They have to, it's a choice. I can't make them not believe. Yeah. It is a choice. Yeah. And you you make that choice, and it's part of the world. More problems have been caused by religion than of religion. There's a lot of a lot of pain and suffering and, and war. And everybody believes that. Like the the, you know, the guys who took that plane in nine eleven, they're believers. Of course. Weren't they? Of course. They believe they were right. and that We was... call them fanatical. Yeah. But they didn't think they were fanatical. No. So they believed. Mm-hmm. How do we know they're not somewhere? I don't think they are. Right. But they believe they were. Well, so all of life is a mystery to me. To have the answer to that mystery is amazing. I don't have the answer. I'm curious. Here's a question I've always been curious about people who have had this experience. I My father is still around. But he had a very traumatic car accident when I was about 22, 23 years old that essentially he's not the same guy anymore. He's I can't have a really emotional conversation with him. You know, we had to teach Dementia. him how to read and write. He just has amnesia. He can't remember things. It's always the same conversation. It's just it's not the support that I had growing up. He's there physically, but it's he's just not the same guy. And he can't work anymore, but he's getting better, but it's just still not the same. And when that happened, I kind of always had this idea of after playing professional football, I would have like my dad to be there for me in this backup plan. I'd go work with him and I'd have the support. And when, when he was essentially gone, um, I kind of had to figure it all out on my own. And I had to, it was like, I didn't have a backup plan. And I was very driven from that point. And none of this would have been created in my life without that experience because it made me be like, I've got to step up. I've got to figure this out. I've got to do it now, essentially on my own. I had support and mentors, but I don't think I would have been this driven in my life if my if father was still around, if without that experience of losing him, essentially. So you use the tragedy. I, I use it to, to become better, to learn, to grow, to master myself, to what figure out how to make money and things like that. What did, now I'm going to interview. What did that teach you? Um, that's a good question. Well, the, the question I was going to ask you was, do you feel like that affected you when you lost your dad to be this oh, driven, yeah. to be this driven, and where would you be maybe, without that? Well, I, I, I always wanted to be in radio, even when I was young and that. But sure, maybe it, it it drove me, but... Do you feel like you'd be here now? Had I not gotten radio, I don't know what I'd have been, because I had no skills. <laughs> I mean, well, I could talk well, like, but had I not found radio, mm-hmm. I probably would have been a stand-up comic. I had no college. Uh, Do you think, so you thought you would have still been in radio, even if your dad was around? Yeah, probably. Yeah, still be in it? I don't know if I'd have been a success. You know, that you never, well, that's, that's the old action we talk about all the time. Left turn, right turn. 
I went out of the house one day and went into Manhattan, and a friend introduced me to a guy named James Sermons, who was head of announcers at CBS. Mm. And I said to him, I will really break into radio, Mr. Sermons. What do you recommend? He says, go to Miami. It's a big city, a lot of stations, no union. So there's either old guys on the way out or young guys on the way up. Mm -hmm. You're not going to run into a 40-year-old great talent. You're 22. Knock on doors. Right. <laughs> I went down. Now, the question is, what if I didn't run into James Sermons? Then what? Where would I have How gone? much longer would have taken? Or? How much longer would have taken? Would, what, what, would there have been another? Now, someone told me. What would be your name? What would be your so, last name? That's right. Someone told me there would have been a different Miami. But if you have talent, you will out. You will make it. If you have talent and passion for what you do. Someone asked me, what's the one trait all successful people have is passion. Yeah. They have a passion for what they do. How do they find it? We, I, that I don't know. <laughs> and they love getting up and going to work. In other words, they, they can't wait for the day to start. How, what about the people? I love the morning. Yeah. I, well, you do personally? Yeah. Oh, I love morning. Yeah. We had breakfast one morning. Yeah. My wife spells morning with a U. She don't get up. She mourns morning. <laughs> she sleeps. Yeah. I, I, I like the morning. I like the day ahead. I like, I like having something to do. I hate it if I've got a day. What do you do? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. what, is, what is nothing? Right. Nothing to do. I love it. I love work. I love the feeling of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I love the whole ball of wax. And I don't want to, I don't want to die. Don't want to die. If I could, for, well, yeah. My wife said, well, if you were, if, if I were frozen, you know, cryonic, you, you come back in 200 years, she said, you wouldn't know anybody. <laughs> I said, I'll make new friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start I, asking I, questions. I, I like living uh, because of curiosity. Who's going to win the World Series? Who's the next football championship? How's Kevin Durant going to do in Golden State, right? Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins repeating in hockey. Who's going to win the election? Who's going to who? You're curious. If you die. You don't know. You don't know. And you don't exist. You don't exist. Just your legacy exists, right? That's it. Yeah, I know. But, for example, Sid Young was a dear friend of mine. He was a great I grew up with him. And he died last year. We just had a dinner for him the other night. Fourteen guys sat down to have dinner. We had one chair empty just for Sid. And we talked to Sid. We talked like So, technically... We're keeping Sid alive. And that made us all feel good until I said, you know, Sid doesn't know this is happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're keeping Sid alive, but mm. Sid ain't alive. Sure. But he's not feeling pain, but to not exist and picture not existing for eternity. He's never coming back. Eternity. In coming. this shape, form, whatever, yeah. You ain't coming back. If there's another life, you don't know it. You don't know it. Yeah. And by the way, if you think there's another life, you can never be wrong. Because there is another life, or you die and never know it. That's so it. you never can't know. be proved wrong. Never know. It sounds like you you don't know the answers to a few questions. Oh, I don't. So I'm curious, if you could know 100% certainty of whoever, God, whatever, is like, this is the answer to that one question, what would be the one question that you would die to know the answer for? Do I go on? Sure. Because, again, I want to be around. I want to be curious. I love to be a spirit. I, if I had one power, I'd like to be invisible. Why? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it at that. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
Leave it at that. Right, right. Okay. I could play shortstop. I could be standing behind a shortstop. I could fly in jet planes, right? I could visit actresses' homes. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, think about that. Being, to be invisible is enormous power. You have all the money in the world. You go into private meetings and find out what stock they're buying. That's true. Go make it happen. Go to Vegas and take money. There you go. <laughs> Put it in your invisible pocket. <laughs> if, you, if you did know that we went on, would you do anything differently? If you no. didn't know that you lived on after this or... I'd be another... happy to hear it. I want to know I'd, how do I go on as, you know, what am I? Am I a spirit? Am I in a body? Uh, you know, what happens to my body? If if I die, what happens to my body? Where is the, right. There's so many unanswered questions. That, yeah. And for somebody who knows. So if I could know that, but I, there's no way I know I could know it unless someone who has died came visit me. I haven't had that happen. I've never had that, you know, near death. I had bypass surgery. I had no near-death experience. No, see the light. I didn't no. see no light coming through <laughs> the wall. I, didn't, I just, I, I don't, I wish I could. Who's the person you interviewed that you felt like knows the most or has the most answers or is the smartest? Probably uh, the British guy who has Lou Gehrig's disease. He's lived the longest with it. What's his name? Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking, with the black theory and the, the, he was fascinating to me because he types out all the answers, you know, because he can't speak. But he, he's a, you know, he's a genius, and uh, I asked him, Stephen, what is something you know nothing about? And he said, women, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the universal truth, all right? <laughs> This I believe, and I don't want to. I don't want to hurt anybody out there because I mean this lovingly. Sure, I please believe me. I mean it lovingly. All women are nuts, <laughs> so, including my mother. You say it lovingly. No, you got to be honest. My sure. mother, my daughter, everyone I know, they're all. If they could be more like men, I mean, men could be nuts, but extreme. But the average guy ain't nuts. Mm. He ain't nuts. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. If my forget, if my friend forgot my birthday, who cares? Right. <laughs> and they they have. I know that Venus and Mars theory. I accept mm -hmm. that theory. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest puzzle to me. Is understanding women, women. <laughs> women and the way they think, mm -hmm. because they have. I know they think with a different part of the brain than I think, and it's really uh, logic is not their word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, logic makes makes no sense. Sure. You know? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and I like, here's the worst thing you get from a woman. All women do this. No man does this. No man does the follow. You walk into your house and there's your wife and she looks sad, glum. What's the matter? Nothing. <laughs> no man would say nothing. A man would say, let me tell you. <laughs> right. Will you tell me? There's nothing the matter. <laughs> Will you look like you're... Stop it. I told you there's nothing. Don't speak to me. What are you supposed to do in those situations? I don't know. Have you figured out that answer? One of the answers someone told me is when you get up every morning, just turn over to your wife and say, I'm sorry. That's it. And you cover yesterday and today. <laughs> I'm sorry for everything I did and what I'm doing. Because whatever it is, she's got something. Wow. And just say, I'm sorry. So the, the, the whole world is fascinating, isn't it? And you, you, you're looking for greatness. What is greatness? My definition? 
Yeah. So I'm going to ask you here in a second. That's the final question I ask in, the, in all my interviews. My definition, I think it changes over time. I think when I was a, uh, in high school, it was to get a girl to like me and play college sports or whatever. But I think now, uh, as a 33-year-old man, it's to discover and pursue my dreams and make the maximum impact in the world in that pursuit. That's what it is for me. And I think it's different for every person. It's not about how much money I make, but... Uh, yeah. I never about- sat down and examined it. I mean, I've been caught... You know, I got a lifetime achievement from the Emmys. I won Peabody Awards, which is our Pulitzer. And I know I'm good at what I do. And people have said, you're great at what you're doing. I think greatness is to, in your chosen profession, exceed at being the best you can be. So you can be a great delivery man for a milk company. You never miss your rounds. The milk is always there. You have you never hit anybody. You can be a great garbage man. You clean up the streets. You get it done. Another person can say, I'm a great husband. That counted more than I'm a great family man. That counted more to me than anything else in life, to be a great family man. But it's a word that gets bandied around a lot. You know, everybody's great. He's great. He's great. He's great. Yeah. That's a good definition, I think. Yeah. Jerry Jeter said to me, there are a lot of phony legends. <laughs> You're a true legend. That yeah. was a big compliment. That's nice. To me. The biggest compliment I ever got was Norman Chad in the Washington Post who wrote, to say that Larry King is better on television than he is on radio is like saying Mark, Mark Angelo. Michelangelo was a better sculptor than he was a painter. <laughs> Which I, that, that really That's threw cool. me. But it's great being with you, Lou. Yes. You have a great podcast. Thank you. You're Thank very you. thoughtful. I appreciate it. I've got a couple of questions left for you. Is that okay? Okay, Lou, you said 45 minutes. We have done almost an hour, but I understand a little because you're you're totally ingratiated with me and you feel I'm fascinated by you. I I can tell. Fascinated. I can't get enough of you. All right, what else, Lou? Okay, a couple questions left, I promise. I'll make them quick. Um, Biggest mistake you've ever made in your life? Smoking. I never should have started smoking. My father smoked. He died of a heart attack. I smoked the same cigarettes he used to smoke. Mm. Philip Morris. If I could have one day back in my life, it was the day I started smoking. Had a heart attack from that, had bypass surgery, stopped smoking the day I had the heart attack. I was 53, so it's almost 30 years that I haven't smoked. Congrats. And I loved smoking. (laughs) Oh, I loved it. I smoked three packs a day. It felt good. It was very sensual. The feeling was great. I'll tell you how, and I understand addiction. All people who are addicted, I understand completely. Addicted to drugs, you're addicted to drink. I understand addict because I was addicted to cigarettes. There was one night, I'm a single living in Virginia, northern Virginia, and I woke up in the middle of the night, a snowstorm, no cigarettes. I'm hunting, I'm on my feet, on my knees, crawling along, going through the garbage in the house to see if there were any cigarette butts, <laughs> and there weren't any. Crawling on the ground. Crawling on the ground. I put on all the clothes I could think of. It's three in the morning. I go downstairs and my car can't get out of the garage because the snow has backed up the electric thing. Sure, sure. (laughs) I go out of the building, the Prospect House in Virginia, and I walk three blocks down a hill to the 7-Eleven, which is open 24 hours. I go into the 7-Eleven, go behind the counter, 
take out a pack of cigarettes, open up, light them up before I paid. Shaking to light that cigarette up. The wind blowing in my face, my feet getting wet from walking in the snow to have that cigarette. So I understand addiction. So I had a day back. It was the day I started smoking. Gotcha. thing you're most grateful for in your life recently? Uh, kids. The fact that I got three grown. I got a great stepson in Danny. Mm -hmm. And I got two kids who are 17, you know, at my age, 17 and 16. I always tell the same joke. When people see me and my wife together, there's an obvious age difference. You know, they look at me, they look at her, and I know what they're thinking. You know, they look at me, they look at her, and I always say the same thing. If she dies, she dies. <laughs> you know, life goes on. <laughs> but to have to, to have two young boys, 17 mm. and 16, they're both driving cars now. I no, can't believe cool. it. Crazy. Because they're still... See, when I see friends that I grew up with, and I have close friends that are still my friends that mm. I grew up with, they look 17 to me. I don't see them at 82. They're 17. You know, so when I see my kids... They're five and six. And I'm taking them to their first Dodger game. And when I see them drive off in these monster cars, going somewhere with all that engines and mm -hmm. these kids, you know, I I taught them, I showed them how to drive. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Huh? It's crazy. Just, I don't have kids yet, so I can only, I can only imagine. But I mean, There's nothing like kids. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. There's nothing in your life because suddenly... You have the only thing in your life that is unrequited love. Mm. Unrequited. Your kid don't have to love you. Your kid can leave you. <laughs> right. But you love your kid. You love him more than a wife, more than his mother. You can't, you can't. There's no love like it because it's unrequited. As I've often said, John Kennedy's mother had a lot of pain. The same pain that Lee Harvey Oswald's mother had. One shot, one received the shot. Both mothers have the same pain. Wow. Right? Of course. Wow. Powerful. A child. Can't, losing a child has to be... The worst feeling, probably. I could not imagine. I've interviewed many people who've lost children. It's, it's not right. Steve Lawrence lost his son at age 23 and... and Lost his faith, lost his religion, never got it back. It's tough. Could break you. Yeah. Okay, I have one final question, and I want to make sure I respect it. Uh, but where are we promoting people to right now? The course? Oh, yeah. Larry's course. You want a great course? Larry's course.com. You'll get a course on, on communication, secrets of good communication, interview skills, all You'll those not things. only get 10 courses, you get individual interviews I've done with special people. Every month, you get a new one. It's a great learning process. It's a lot of fun. It's funny. And at the same time, you learn. So you go to larryscourse.com. You will not be disappointed. There you go. I and, guarantee this. And also, are you on social media anywhere, personally? Uh, well, I have Twitter. I have 2,900,000 Twitter followers. There you go. At Larry King. At Larry King. At King's Things. King's I think things. it's called King's Things. Okay. I don't even know what it's called. I have. Well, I have. We'll link it all up for I you. I have this flip phone. <laughs> Can I see it? Can I, I haven't held one of these in 10 it's years. Heavy. Look at this thing. I'm going to open it. Look at this thing. And I'll tell you why it's great. This is amazing. You know why it's great? Why? Because you can't tell. It's a phone. <laughs> That's you it. Put it up to your ear. You don't have a phone. You're talking to a box. <laughs> true, so, true. And another thing. I know addiction. My wife, totally addicted to her, That's good. her, her iPhone. That's to good. Oh, yeah. She's addicted to her iPhone. She's on it all day. Yeah. I see her sometimes sleeping. 
holding it in her hand, <laughs> open her eyes and start start texting. Sure. It. I don't ever want. See, cigarettes control me. That, that escapade of walking down that cell, they controlled me. Mm-hmm. I didn't control them. I had to go get the iPhone controls people. I don't want that. Mm. I don't want that. Yeah. I have to look at something. I'll learn. If something happened, you'll tell me. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I don't have, I don't need that. Look at it constantly. Yeah. And I don't want something that, that controls my life. I saw my wife and I were flying to Vegas once. True story, Danny. We're in the car. We're coming into the airport. She goes, my cell phone. What about it? It's home. Well, we're only going for two days. She's freaking out. Uh, no, 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 no. I start shaking. I said, well, I've got a phone. I've got a phone. <laughs> it's not the same you thing. To, you have to make a call. No, it's not to make it a call. i got to go home. I said, well, what, what do you want me to do? She says, you go to Vegas. I'll take a she plane. She went home to get the phone. She went home, take a plane two hours later. Oh, my gosh. I wow. went to Vegas by myself. Wow. Addiction. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want to ask the final question. Uh, you keep lying. No, I didn't ask the final question. That's yet. part of the secret of good communicating. If you can lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was to promote everything you had going okay, on. Okay, that was good. Thank okay. you. Okay. Now, now, the final question, before I, I ask it, I want to acknowledge you, Larry, for a moment. Thank you. I want to acknowledge you for inspiring so many people in the world, for your incredible curiosity, and for uh, being a seeker of truth. I think you've opened up so much truth to so many people in the world through your questions, through your curiosity, through your generosity. I think listening and asking the right questions is very unselfish of you and very generous of you, as opposed to making it about you in every interview, you make it about everyone else. So Don't use the word I. Thank you. I don't use the word I. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to acknowledge you for your incredible gift That's of showing it? up 60 years and constantly uh-huh. giving and giving and giving and still having a youthful energy. And uh, for being here, it just thank you for your kindness, Lou. Yeah, of course. And since you've said that, it's about time I start getting back. (laughs) How much do I get paid for this? (laughs) Exactly, Lou. There's no money. (laughs) No money. I'll get back. (laughs) People pay me lots of money to do it now, Lou. How much you want? How much you want? All right, for you, seventy-five thousand. Okay, give me a discount. Sixty thousand. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you got a dollar for parking? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Okay. Final question, though. That was to acknowledge you. <laughs> oh, gee. That was to acknowledge you. Okay. This is what I asked at the end. What is the answer? What is the answer? This is the the three truths question. If at the end of the day, all of your interviews are erased and gone, and you get to write down three things you know to be true about everything you learn in this experience of life, three truths that you would give to the world, what would you say are your three truths? Three truths. Nothing is given to you. Hmm. You have to earn it. That's my truth. Of course, if you have inherited wealth, that's it's not your truth. But my truth is nothing's given to you. I was very poor. I was on relief. New York City bought my first pair of glasses after my father died. So I never forgot poverty. We were poverty. So nothing's given to you. Number two, things will work out. What goes around, things will work out. Mm -hmm. Things look bad. Always work out. They work out. I don't know why they work out, but they work out. I have incredible belief in man, man and woman, the human. Mm -hmm. Nothing's given to you. Things will work out. And to quote Mel Brooks, (laughs) 
Don't chase a bus. There'll always be another. <laughs> Think about that. That's great. You run down the street, chase a bus. You miss the bus. You fall down. You get wet. There'll be another bus. There'll be another bus. There'll be another bus. Thank, Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it. Wow. What a mind explosion and incredible experience that was for me to connect with Larry and really get to turn the tables on him and ask him the questions that he asked so many incredible people over the last 60 years. Such a, a grateful experience for me, and I appreciate you guys being a part of this with me. Again, the School of Greatness hits episode 361, so make sure to share this out with your friends on Twitter, at Lewis Howes. And at King's Things, let us know what you thought. LewisHouse.com slash 361. Click the share button on the link or just tweet it out. Or you can go directly to your podcast app on your phone and just share it out right from iTunes on the podcast app. And let me know in the comments on the blog or on the YouTube channel or on Twitter or social media. Let me know the, the thing you got out of this the most, the most insightful thing that you took away from this interview with Larry King. That would mean the world to me. And I'm sure Larry would want to hear that as well. So make sure to share that out. And if this is your first time at the School of Greatness podcast, then welcome to the community. Welcome. We get over 1.3 million downloads a month, and it's because of people like you who subscribe, who share, who review on iTunes as well. All those things help bring in more incredible people that are looking to change and optimize their life and take it to another level on all areas of your life. So if this is your first time here, thank you again. Welcome. And make sure to click the subscribe button over on iTunes stitcher or soundcloud and stay connected we do this every monday wednesday and friday i love you all very much i'm so grateful to be able to continue to do this podcast and connect with these individuals it's all because of you and for you so thank you i love you and you know what time it is it's time to go out there and do something great How frustrating is it when you move into a new home and you're excited to settle in and furnish it, but then you're waiting weeks on end, sometimes even a whole month, for your new furniture to finally ship to you? Have you met All Modern? All Modern brings you the best of modern furniture and they deliver it for free in days, not weeks. Yep, that's right. They deliver it in days. Waiting weeks for your order to arrive isn't ideal, especially when you've just moved. Get your sofa ASAP from All Modern and sit comfortably while building out the rest of your space. That's Modern Made Simple. At All Modern, you'll find only the best of modern styles, from Scandi to mid-century and minimalist to maximalists. Every piece is hand-vetted for quality and designed for real life. Shop the best of modern outdoor furniture, timeless decor, and everything in between. Find timeless designs in every style that fold function and fun all in one. From small decor swaps to full room revamps, All Modern has you covered. Shop online at All allmodern.com or visit them in store in Linfield or Dedham, Massachusetts or in Austin, Texas. National Outlet Shopping Day is back. 
Join us June 8th and 9th at Simon Premium Outlets nationwide. Score thousands of can't-miss deals from brands you love all weekend long. They've got up to 65% off every day. And the National Outlet Shopping Day deals are even better. Visit premiumoutlets.com slash NOSD to find a premium outlet near you. That's premiumoutlets.com slash NOSD. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.